Matthew 26. Um, if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, uh, we recommend version. Um, so you just go to your app store and, and look up version Bible app, and with it you can have the Word of God at your fingertips. You can find plans to help it make sense, and you can even follow along our, our screens uh, while you're here. And so, uh, man, it's a great resource that everybody should have. And so if you don't yet, I uh, just uh, recommend that you, uh, you download that. Uh, man, welcome, Easter. Man, we're, we're glad you're here. I know it's been a while since some of you have been back, and uh, man, welcome back, guys. Welcome back. Um, so this uh, message today was inspired by an Easter series on Right Now Media featuring the teaching of J.D. Greer. And Right Now Media has been, uh, been compared to like a Christian Netflix, and it is our gift to you today just for being here. And so if you are interested in, uh, in looking into that a little bit more, just uh, text right now Potosi to 41411. And again, it's our gift to you, no strings attached. Uh, but the, the truth of Easter today is that Jesus did not just die for me. Jesus died instead of me. And that's the first blank on your outline. Uh, Jesus did not just die for me. Jesus died instead of me. Would, would you say that with me today? Jesus did not just die for me. Jesus died instead of me. Because that's true of me. It's true of you. It's what we sing about today. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Everything he endured. The abandonment the ridicule, the humiliation, the beatings, the mental anguish, death on a cross is what I deserved. So that I might have life, he went through all these things instead of me, instead of you. Today we're going to look at four different groups or people in the Easter story. And I think we all identify with at least one, possibly more. And so it is my prayer that God, through his Holy Spirit... We'll show you where you fit in, and if you need to make changes, that he'll give you the strength to do that. Now, by the time we get to uh, Matthew chapter 26, the religious leaders have had just about enough of Jesus' parables and confrontations, and so they devised this plot to kill him, and they waited for the opportune time, and they found that opportunity in Judas. He is, uh, represents our first group in our outline, those who misunderstood Jesus, number one, those who misunderstood Jesus. So Judas is a guy who, he, he looked pretty good on the outside, but on the inside he was just evil. Uh, he appeared to have it all together. He appeared to be trustworthy. John 13, 29 tells us that he was the treasurer for the twelve disciples. And nobody just uh, gives their money to a guy that they don't trust. And so on the outside he was very trustworthy. We find out later that he was stealing the money. And so again, he had it all together on the outside, but he wrestled with demons. We first meet him listed as a disciple here in Matthew in chapter 10. This was after Jesus had done several miracles. He had driven out demons. He had cleansed a man with leprosy. He had healed the sick and calmed the waves. In John's gospel, Judas is lifted, listed just after chapter 6. Uh, not long after Jesus fed 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish with enough leftovers for each disciple to take home a basketful. I believe that Judas misunderstood why Jesus came. Because he, he saw his authority over demons. He saw that he had power over sickness. He had unlimited resources. 
So Judas thought that Jesus came to bring his followers power and possessions. He thought that Jesus came to overthrow Rome and bring freedom to his people. And if we're honest, if we think about it, that's someone we could all get behind. Someone who brings us power and possessions. Someone who defeats our oppressors. Jesus had a different kind of power. He came in a different kind of power. He never promised possessions. He didn't come to overthrow Rome. His mission was even bigger than that. And so when Judas realized that he had read him wrongly, he decided to betray him. The next blank's on your outline. Judas had a price. Judas had a price. And this is probably where uh, more of us relate to him than we would like to admit. For just 30 pieces of silver, Judas handed over the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Now, in today's economy, I did a little bit of of research. 30 pieces of silver could be worth as little as $90 or as much as $15,000. And so it's, it's a pretty broad range. But either way, the fact remains that Judas had a price that he would trade for his relationship with Jesus. If if Jesus wouldn't do what Judas thought he should do, let me make sure I say that right, if Jesus wouldn't do what Judas thought he should do, and if he didn't do it on Judas' timeline, then Judas was done following Jesus. I know we all know people who have done the same. I wonder if it's us. If Jesus doesn't answer this prayer, Jesus doesn't give me this request, If Jesus doesn't take away this pain, then I will not follow him. What's the point of following someone if they don't do what I want them to do? Consider your answer to this question. What does Jesus have to do for you to retain your loyalty? What does Jesus have to do for you to retain your loyalty? Because if it's more than dying instead of you, then you too have misunderstood Jesus. See, some of us have a price for our relationship with Jesus. Whatever causes you to stop following Him, that's your 30 pieces of silver. If you can give God your Sunday mornings, but not your Friday nights, that's your price for following Jesus. If you can claim to have given your life to Him, except for this one area, then this one area is your price. And maybe there are more, there's more than one area misunderstood why he came because Jesus came to forgive and more than anything else that's what Judas needed not power not possessions forgiveness that's exactly what Jesus offers us but it matters how we respond to that forgiveness and you can write that down it matters how we respond to forgiveness we know the story Uh, Judas was not the only one to turn away from Jesus. All the disciples did. The word tells us in Matthew 27, when Judas realized what he had done, he brought the money back to the religious leaders, and he went and hanged himself. And I fully believe that Jesus would have forgiven Judas. Maybe you disagree. And I admit it's hard to even fathom, but that's the grace of God. All the disciples abandoned Jesus in his greatest time of need. Peter denied him three times, even knowing him. But how did Peter respond after he did? He accepted the forgiveness of Jesus, and he went on to do mighty works in his name. And so, are you more like Judas, or are you more like Peter? Will you continue to always live in the past, and dwell on your mistakes, and be lifeless, and full of regret like Judas? 
removing yourself from ever being a part of God's work, or like Peter, will you accept the forgiveness of Jesus, turn and learn from your mistakes, and allow Him to use you for His purposes? While many in this story fit under this category, Judas was one of those who misunderstood Jesus. As we follow the timeline of the Easter story, we know the arrest and unjust trial of Jesus are next. Uh, The trial was at night, which was against the law. The judges were partial, which is actually the opposite of justice. The witnesses lied. Jesus' own testimony was ignored, and the sentence was really severe. Just a reminder, Jesus was on trial instead of me. His accusers are part of the second group of people in our outline. Proud. Number two on your outline, the proud. Uh, we're referring to the religious leaders here. They include the high priest, the Pharisees, scribes, elders, also known as the Sanhedrin. Found in Matthew twenty six fifty seven and following, if you would follow along as I read. Those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. Verse 59 says, Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? Jesus kept silent. The high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you have said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further do we need of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, He is deserving of death. And they spat in his face And they beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? It isn't uh, too hard to find pride in the Sanhedrin. Uh, These guys knew it all. They were educated. They probably had the first five books of the Bible memorized. They knew the rules, and they kept them to a T, at least on the outside. And they thought that that was what gained them favor with God. They didn't realize that if these rules don't change your heart, then the rules are worthless. And rule keeping is just religion. And religion does not change a heart. And if you think about it, it's, it's really not too difficult to find pride in our own lives either. Somewhere down the line, uh, we inside the church have thought, well, you know, Um, I I come to church, I know the stories, I know the songs, I do my spiritual duties, I know the rules and I I keep them for the most part. I can at least find somebody else outside of these walls that I keep them better than. And those thoughts can quickly go to our heads and we think, well, uh, you know, I'm doing pretty good here. Actually, I am good. At least I'm way better than the people who don't keep the rules. You know, uh, God, you should be proud of me. Because I, I, guess, uh, I guess I really do have it all together. Of course, that's, that's ridiculous. 
but it usually leads to us thinking, you know, God, I am proud of me because I, I'm a good one. You got a good one here. I did all this on my own. Why do I even need God? That's exactly where the Sanhedrin were here in Matthew 26. And don't we know that when people outside these walls see us act like that, they're completely turned off to this gospel and the Jesus that we claim to serve because they know it's simply not true. We don't have it all together. The Sanhedrin failed in the most basic element of a relationship with God, and you can write this down. It is surrender. Surrender. Uh, You know, I've had conversations with people who are considering the things of God, and, and they say things like, you know, I enjoy coming to church. This Christian life is intriguing, and as much as I want to, I still don't get it. What am I missing? And how do I get there? And my answer is always surrender. There is something, hum- something humbling about surrender. When we say, okay, God, I give up. I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm going to admit that I cannot do this on my own. When we finally come to a place and we realize, okay, you know, I thought I was good because I was comparing my- myself to some other people. But now I realize that other people are not the standard. I have to compare myself to God, and I do not compare. God, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm ready to do things your way. That's when we begin to understand. There is a trust that comes when we surrender to God. Surrender is the opposite of pride. Pride will probably keep billions of people out of heaven for all eternity. Because they were trusting in what they could do to get them there. And they felt short. Ever have some of the same thoughts? I enjoy coming to church. The Christian life is intriguing, but I still don't get it. What am I missing? What do I need to finally understand? And so I would say to you, check your pride. It kept the Sanhedrin from seeing who Jesus really was. It still blinds hearts today. And then after you've checked your heart for pride... Have you truly surrendered? Surrender is the solution. And you can surrender to Jesus right where you sit right now. It's something that I need to do daily. So far we've seen two types of people in the Easter story. Those who misunderstood and the proud. Number three on your outline is the distracted. The distracted. Uh, This group is represented by the governor. Pilate. Matthew 27, 15 says this. Now at the, feast of the gov- at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitudes one prisoner whom they wished. And at the time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes and they, that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said to him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, 
but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. How was Pilate distracted? Well, if we, we pay attention to what the story says about him, uh, we see that he knew there was something different about Jesus. He found him innocent, and he saw through the schemes of the crowd. His wife even said, just, just let Jesus go, don't have anything to do with him. But history tells us that Pilate was on thin ice during this time because riots were common in his jurisdiction and one more could have cost him his job. And so when he looked at the crowd and they threatened another riot and in turn threatened his livelihood, Pilate became distracted from the truth and it didn't take much for him to give in. Rejecting Jesus in order to stay good with the crowd and his superiors and in order to keep his status and way of life. Can't we see ourselves in Pilate? Can't we relate to the distracted? Because we know in our heart of hearts there is something different about Jesus. We know when we're here, there's something about him that just wants us, we want to be a part of. But then, when we see the ways of the world, and we realize that God may call us to give up things that we are really comfortable with, when the ones we hang around with the most don't influence us for the best, we become distracted. And it doesn't take long for us to give in, give up on Jesus. Church, can I just tell you that if God calls you to give up anything, it will be an exchange for something much better. Infinitely better and eternal. As long as we are distracted by what our friends or by what the world thinks. As long as our comfort is most important to us, we will miss Jesus. In contrast to Pilate, uh, there are many different reports, but some tell us that Peter watched his wife be crucified for her faith. And then he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same manner of Jesus. Andrew was also crucified. Thomas was speared to death for his faith. Bartholomew was severely beaten and then crucified. Luke was hanged for his faith. James was beaten, stoned, and clubbed to death at the age of 94. Mark was dragged to pieces, and the list goes on and on and on. And all of these could have been distracted by what was ahead. They could have made different choices to avoid what was coming, and yet... They didn't. When it comes to us, most of our lives are not threatened by our faith. Yet we turn away so easily. We reject Jesus. We accept something else in place, whether it be popular opinion or saving faith or whatever it is. Whatever our price is for our relationship with Jesus. We're distracted. We're the proud ones. We're the ones who misunderstand Jesus. And if you're like me, you can relate to all three of these categories so far. And that leads us to our last one, number four. The outsiders. The outsiders. Uh, There are at least two who find themselves on the outside for one reason or another. And you can write these down. The first is Barabbas. 
Uh, Matthew 27, 26. Then Pilate released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So Bar in Barabbas means son of. Abbas means father. And so if ever a name could make someone an outsider, it was Barabbas. Yeah, he's the son of a father somewhere we don't even know. Barabbas is mentioned in every gospel. Matthew 27, 16 calls him a notorious prisoner. People knew who he was, and he, they knew why he was in prison. In Mark and Luke, he's described as a rebellious murderer, and John calls him a robber in John 18, 40. And so we see both the choices of others in his life and his choices put him on the outside of society, looking in. He was an outsider. The second is the Roman centurion, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four. Uh, he is nameless, and actually there's a, a group of them, but we know that they had this position for their military skills. Centurions have been described as the men above all men in the Roman army. They led in the front line of battle. In a society like this, one would do whatever it took to make it to the top. They enforced the rules and the punishment for breaking the rules. And if they didn't, then they faced severe punishment themselves at the hand of other centurions. It was a dog-eat-dog world. And while it's believed they were of the upper hierarchy of society, it's also believed that most were disliked by ordinary folk because they regarded them as cruel, violent, and self-serving. It's definitely what we see them as here in the Easter story. So why even mention them here today? Matthew 27, 50 through 54. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the grave after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Truly, this was the Son of God. An admission by some pagan outsiders, the only ones who got it, that Jesus is the Son of God. Everything he said was true. He backed it up with the things he did. This innocent man was now going to the grave unjustly accused and killed in order to serve justice for the sins of the world. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Even an outsider's heart can be changed by King Jesus. Even a notorious murderer like Barabbas can be spared because of Jesus. The same is true today. Because we know the story's not over yet. Somebody say, three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, and that's what we celebrate today. So as we go into a time of, of reflection and invitation, what group do you most relate to this morning? Have you misunderstood Jesus? What does He have to do for you to retain your loyalty? Do you realize how unreasonable it is to require Him 
to do more than he's already done. What's your price? How have you responded to the forgiveness of Jesus? Has pride overtaken your life? Are you missing something and you wonder what in the world it's going to take to find it? How do you surrender? Would you admit this morning that you're distracted? The ways of the world pull at you constantly. You've become pretty used to giving in to them. So much so that it's desensitized you to the voice of God calling you back. So my question to you is, what are you going to do about it? Are you an outsider for whatever reason? Always feeling like you're looking in and never finding out how to get in. Well, the way is Jesus. He offers life to you no matter where you are and no matter what you've done to get there. When you surrender to Him, He will change you. The good news of Jesus, we don't have to change ourselves. We don't have to clean ourselves up in order to come to Jesus. We just come to Him right as we are, and He cleans us up. He loves you just the way you are, and He loves you so much that He won't leave you that way. So the invitation this Easter is to trust in Jesus, to allow His death, and his resurrection to apply to your life. As we allow God to work in our hearts this morning, would you bow your head and close your eyes? We always like to answer two questions at this time. What has God said to you through his word? And what are you going to do about it?